This episode contains allusions to descriptions of violence and body horror. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The following is from Thurnley Abbey by Percival Landon. At last, the door into Mrs. Bratton's room opened and she came in, white and terrified. What is it? What is it? Oh, in God's name, what is it? She cried again and again. I have smashed the foul thing into a hundred pieces, I said. And there, I added, throwing the broken piece of the skull upon the floor beside his bed. There is a souvenir for you of your damned work tonight. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century in every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today's story is Thurnley Abbey, written by Gothic author Percival Landon. Our tale follows another Alastair, Alastair Colvin, a hot-tempered writer and his adventure-seeking travel companion. But even their dangerous exploits abroad cannot prepare them for the unbridled terror that lies within an English manor. In fact, renowned horror author M.R. James described this tale as a horrid one, almost too horrid. We have to agree. Coming up, a travel writer finds a haunting story close to home. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Every nerve on Alastair Colvin's body prickled as he stared into the jungle's lush undergrowth. His heart hammered as he watched a majestic tiger slink out from behind a banyan tree. He dared not move. 
None of Alastair's experience as a travel writer prepared him for stalking a Bengal tiger. But here he was, risking his life for a story about the violent beauty of the Indian jungle. The smallest misstep meant a grisly death. And he'd never felt more alive. His daredevil travel companion, John Broughton, stood beside him. John's eyes shone with excitement as the lithe predator crouched, readying to pounce on an unsuspecting boar. The men watched in awe as the tiger ripped the boar apart. Alastair had never seen such violence. It was exactly what he'd hoped to witness. But the sight churned his stomach. Nevertheless, Alastair refused to turn away. What kind of man can't handle a little blood, he thought. He glanced at John to see if his friend was similarly uneasy, but John watched the show with fascination. He could hardly be surprised that John was immune to gore. In all his adventures, he'd never known a bigger thrill-seeker. They met at a British pub in the Beira province and struck up an easy friendship. Alastair loved how John brought out the rugged explorer in him, and he knew John appreciated Alastair's listening ear. In the months since meeting, they traveled through much of India together, and Alastair had prided himself on being able to keep up with the tireless John. So, he watched the tiger feed, hoping John couldn't detect his queasiness. When they arrived back at camp, Alastair hurried ahead to his tent. He was anxious to write about his encounter with the tiger while it was fresh in his mind. But as he was about to open the tent's flap, he saw a shadow move inside. It was a tall and slender silhouette with a bulbous top. It undulated from side to side with an eerie fluidity, almost like a ghost. Alastair shook off the thought. He considered himself too intelligent to believe in the supernatural. Still, he felt an unbidden twinge of fear. But to Alastair, fear was weakness, so he replaced the feeling with a more palatable emotion, anger. He flung open the tent and found himself staring into a pair of luminous golden eyes. It was a king cobra standing erect. Then, it lunged forward. Alastair stumbled backward with a high-pitched scream. Laughter rang out as he toppled to the ground. Alastair whipped around to find John towering above him, still chuckling. <laughs> ah, so you've met Jay Esh, John said, approaching. I bought him from a snake charmer at the market. He's a retired performer, harmless as a kitten. The revelation made Alastair's blood boil. John had put the cobra in his tent as a prank, and now he was laughing at Alastair's cowardice. Alastair saw red. Before he could even think, he yanked John to the ground and pummeled him with a flurry of blows. John didn't fight back, and Alastair didn't calm until he felt John's nose crack beneath his clenched fist. The two men broke apart, panting. John amusedly dabbed at the hot blood that now covered his chin. He apologized and said he assumed they'd have a laugh about the snake. Alastair knew John's charm to life had put him wildly out of touch with propriety, but this was beyond the pale. Breathless, 
Alastair responded. No one in their right mind would find a cobra in their tent funny. The two made amends, but Alastair was relieved their travels together were coming to an end. He had more land to traverse and more prose to write. John, meanwhile, needed to return to England. His days gallivanting in the jungle would soon be over, and the young scion was being called back to polite society by his wealthy family. He'd inherited a large manor called Thurnley Abbey that required tending to. A year later, Alastair met John for dinner in London. He was between assignments, and John was finally readying to move to his estate in the country. Alastair listened patiently as John spent most of the meal complaining about his new domestic life. At his family's behest, he'd married a woman named Vivian. The couple were to move to Thurnley Abbey once its renovations were complete. But the work was taking longer than anticipated. For this, John credited local superstition. John told Alastair that the Abbey's last tenant, a man named Clark, was a recluse who claimed the place was haunted. He even played devilish tricks to convince the people in the nearby village it was true and blamed Thurnley's ghosts. Because of Clark's antics, the construction workers refused to stay past sundown. This had significantly lengthened the timeline for repairs, John grumbled. As he jabbered on, Alastair noticed a peculiar shadow gliding along the wall behind John. It seemed to be the silhouette of a man, but it moved with an unnaturally lumbering gait. Alastair looked around to identify who was casting such a bizarre shadow, but there was no one close enough to be the culprit. When he turned back, he froze. The silhouette was slowly peeling itself off the wall. Alastair watched in disbelief as its smoky arms reached out to an oblivious John. Its spectral fingers curled around his head and then, it vanished. John abruptly cut through Alastair's thoughts to ask if he believed in ghosts. Alastair blinked, baffled. He was shaken, but he wasn't about to tell John that. Not that there wasn't anything to tell. It had just been a shadow, after all, a trick of the dim candlelight. Satisfied with this conclusion, Alastair calmed. He confidently told John, Obviously not. Ghosts, spectres, whatever one wants to call them, are invented. To an educated mind, there's always a rational explanation. Quite right, John agreed. Then his eyes twinkled as he went on. Rational. I do like that word. I tell you what, if you're wrong and we ever encounter a ghost, let's try rationality first. We'll talk to it rather than making a fuss. The two men laughed and clinked their glasses together. Not long after that dinner, Alastair left England for a long assignment in Budapest. When he returned to London the following summer, a letter from John awaited him. Alastair opened it, wondering what new, amusing complaints his friend had about his new life. But as he scanned the message, Alastair paused. This letter was not like the others. 
In a hasty scrawl, John begged Alastair to visit Thurnley Abbey. He wrote that Alastair was the only one he could trust and he desperately needed his help. But that was as much as John had written. John's anxiety worried Alastair. He'd never seen his old friend anything but steadfast and confident. So he decided to heed his request and made arrangements to visit Thurnley Abbey at once. Alastair arrived the next day. It was a large, foreboding manor surrounded by lush gardens. As he approached its archaic front door, Alastair mused it must have been easy for Clark, the previous tenant, to convince the workers it was haunted. Moments later, a prim young woman greeted him at the door. She introduced herself cheerfully as Vivian, John's wife. Despite her cheerful disposition, her face was etched with worry. When Alastair asked after John, Vivian hastily replied, He'll see you at dinner. Let me show you to your room. Vivian left Alastair in a spacious guest chamber. The room was quite tidy and furnished with rare antiques, but its most eye-catching decor was the portrait of an old monk hanging above the fireplace. Its canvas was weathered and aged, but one detail remained vibrant. The monk's ice-blue eyes. They seemed to stare at Alastair. He shivered, but immediately cast off his nerves. He'd feel less anxious once he spoke to John and got to the bottom of what was worrying his friend. Alastair entered the vast dining room. The space was covered in ancient tapestries and more antique furnishings. And at the other end of the massive mahogany table next to Vivian sat John. Alastair nearly stopped in his tracks. This wasn't the lively, boisterous friend Alastair remembered. This John was gaunt and hollow-eyed. It was as if he hadn't eaten or slept in months. John raised a trembling hand and murmured hello. Alastair tried to contain his shock. He wondered what could have possibly happened. Was domestic life to blame? But before Alastair could think of what to say, two servants brought out the food. Dinner was served. Alastair tucked into his Cornish hen. Eager to fill the silence, he self-consciously declared, Delicious bird! Is this rosemary? But neither John nor Vivian answered. Instead, John furtively whispered to his wife. She glanced at Alastair and excused herself. Alastair looked at John, certain he would now explain why he'd been summoned. But John said nothing. He only looked down at his hands in silence. Unable to stand another moment, Alastair finally demanded he explain the favor he mentioned in his letter. When John spoke, he was so quiet that Alastair could hardly hear him in the cavernous dining room. He said, If the ghosts come to you, please talk to them. Alastair shivered, but quickly shoved his dread away. Soon, irritation took its place. 
Here he had traveled many miles and with short notice to help his friend, at his behest, no less, and now John had the gall to make jokes. Alastair tried to finish his meal, but had quite lost his appetite. So he pushed his chair back and bid John goodnight. As he strode from the room, he decided if John wasn't going to be forthright, he'd leave in the morning. Despite his strange evening, Alastair fell asleep as soon as his head hit the pillow. But he woke three hours later to a grotesque smell. He turned on the lamp beside his bed and was momentarily blinded by its glow. When his vision returned, his heart stopped. Standing perfectly still at the foot of his bed was a hulking, skeletal ghoul swathed in a rotten veil. And through the sheer fabric, its ice-blue eyes stared squarely at Alastair. Coming up, Alastair picks an unwinnable fight with the undead. Hello, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we're the hosts of the new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. You may know us from the very creepy and excellent podcast Red Handed, but now we've teamed up with Parcast for an unprecedented look at history's most nefarious groups. Some preach extreme religious practices, others warn of impending doom, and then there are those whose endgame is far more diabolical. Every Tuesday on Sinister Societies, we take a peek behind the curtain and discover the most ominous organizations the world may or may not have known. Learn how entrepreneurial sects made fortunes off their brand, how charismatic cult leaders caught the eye of celebrities, and why strange orders of the extraterrestrial or collegiate kind attract the most unlikely of followers. Some groups convene in the shadows, others operate in plain sight, all are absolutely sinister. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Alastair stared in horror at the incomprehensibly grotesque creature hovering at the foot of his bed. Its ice-blue eyes peered directly into his soul. Most of the ghoul's flesh was missing. The skin it did have was thin and stretched unevenly over brittle white bones, and its rotting stench was the most vile thing Alastair had ever smelled. An involuntary scream escaped his lips just before his throat closed in fear. He scrambled to cower at his headboard, squeezing his eyes closed. His mind raced with possible explanations. A nightmare? No, he was decidedly awake. A trick of the light? No, the lamp had illuminated every grisly detail. He whispered to himself that the abomination wasn't real. When he opened his eyes, it would be gone. But when he looked again, the repulsive ghoul 
was still there, silently staring at him, upending his rational worldview. Alastair trembled, dripping in sweat. Then, he leapt for the door. He was almost free when a flurry of memories stopped him in his tracks. He remembered John putting the cobra in his tent as a prank, John whispering about him to Vivian at dinner, and then John asking him to talk to any ghosts he saw. The realization made him gasp. This ghoul was certainly a hoax, and Alastair had been fool enough to let it frighten him. John was likely having a good laugh at this very moment. The thought sent Alastair into a blind rage. He lunged at the ghoul, his fist smashed its cheekbone, deeply cutting his clenched hand. The creature's head was sent soaring across the room. Alastair recoiled. Was it a dead animal? A few dead animals stacked upon one another and wrapped in a veil? Whatever it was, it was clearly flesh and bone, decaying at that. John had gone to repulsive lengths to frighten him. The thought only fueled Alastair's anger. He shouted curses as he pummeled the carcass. Every punch crumbled more of the decomposing frame beneath his bleeding fist. Before he knew it, disintegrated remains and flecks of his own blood blanketed the guest room. But Alastair wasn't finished. He would not rest until every piece of the corpse had been desecrated. He furiously stamped on the skull, sending rotted teeth flying. He kicked, smashed, and ripped at the remains until the entire room was covered in carnage. Finally, he threw a bone, shattering the window pane. Chest heaving, Alastair surveyed the abominable damage. His hands were torn to shreds, his face dripped with filth. He was brimming with shame and he was burning to deliver justice to the man who'd made him feel this way. So Alastair picked up a broken piece of jawbone and stalked out of the room. He kicked open every door in the long hallway until at last the final one revealed John. Despite the late hour, his friend was sitting up in bed with the light on, as if he'd been expecting company. Alastair spat. I ought to destroy you the way I destroyed your foul joke. He hurled the bone fragment into the room. It hit the wall and landed beside John's bed. When John saw what it was, he screamed. Alastair grew uneasy as John fell to the floor with a moan and caressed the jawbone. A moment later, a terrified Vivian rushed in to comfort him but he wouldn't be soothed. She asked what happened, but all John could do was break into terrified sobs. Vivian whirled on Alastair, demanding to know what he'd done. Alastair spat back that he'd ruined John's despicable joke. He refused to be made a fool of. Before he finished, John leapt up and put a finger to Alastair's lips. Shh, listen. Listen. They all quieted. Slow, lumbering footsteps moved down the hall. 
John scurried back into bed and turned out the light. The room was plunged into darkness, but Alastair could hear John whimpering like a frightened child. Alastair was about to coldly assure him it was probably one of John's staff when the door opened. The footsteps entered the room, accompanied by a nauseating, rancid smell. Alastair shrunk against the wall, his pulse racing. It was the same noxious odor that woke him. He would have known it anywhere. The footsteps stopped right beside the bed. Alastair trembled, waiting for whatever horror was to come. After what felt like an eternity, the footsteps receded from the room. Alastair rose to peek into the moonlit hallway, and there he saw the same hulking corpse he'd demolished, now somehow reassembled. It turned the corner and disappeared from sight. Alastair's stomach lurched, and he ordered John to turn the light on. When he did, they saw that the jawbone had been taken from the floor. Alastair looked down at his shaking, bloody hands. He could no longer deny the disturbing, paranormal reality. He had defiled a sentient corpse, and a formidable one at that. Alastair lunged to bolt the door. Vivian, John, and Alastair cowered in John's bed for the rest of the night. For hours, John muttered the same thing over and over. You didn't speak to him. You didn't speak to him. But Alastair was too preoccupied with his whirling thoughts to engage. If ghosts were real, then the very foundation of logic he'd built his life on was crumbling. By dawn's first light, Alastair had no idea what was real and what wasn't. When he worked up the nerve to return to his bedroom, he found no trace of the ghoul he'd pulverized. The only sign of what had occurred was the dried blood from his hand wound spattered on every surface. Alastair backed out of the bedroom. His mind reached for the possibility that he'd imagined the whole thing. But rather than fall to anger or into a debate about rationality, he ran. He sprinted down the grand staircase through the entry hall and out the heavy antique door. Even as John called after him, begging him to come back, Alastair did not stop. And once he reached London, he booked passage on the first ship abroad. He may have traveled the world to seek out the most thrilling and mysterious corners of the globe, but there was no doubting what he'd seen at Thurnley Abbey. True fear was much closer than he realized, and whether he rationalized it with logic or covered it in rage, Alastair could no longer deny his own terror. Like Alastair, author Percival Landon was a British travel writer who spent time traversing the world. Landon made a name for himself with his non-fiction writings on the people of central Tibet, but Fernley Abbey 
is by far his best-known tale. Beyond ghosts, the tale confronts us with the frightening archetype of someone who would rather inflict violence than show vulnerability. When John scared him with the cobra, Alastair became enraged, not because of the prank, but because John had seen his fear. Similarly, when the ghoul frightened him, Alastair's humiliation evoked an abusive reaction. John specifically requested that Alastair talk to the ghoul. We can only imagine what the outcome may have been if he had. But instead, when faced with his own terror, Alastair predictably responded in violence. He quite literally pulverizes his fear with rage, but this time, it didn't go away. It came back. So, when forced to confront the reality of both ghosts and his own vulnerability, he reveals his true cowardice and flees. But ultimately, there's no escaping fear. And unless we accept our terror, it will always come back to haunt us. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free, exclusively on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kerry Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Janelle Marlock, with writing assistance by Kate Murdoch and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Audrian Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. You aren't supposed to know about them, unless they want you to. Powerful groups with their own very specific agendas. And if you find yourself on the inside, good luck getting out. Hi, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Join us every Tuesday for our new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. Whether it's doomsday predictions, deadly greed or world domination, each week we're exposing the beliefs and actions of the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify.